Welcome to this edition of the IIF Global Regulatory Podcast. I'm Martin Boer, Director of Regulatory Affairs. In this episode, I'm honored to be joined by Deborah Stone, Managing Director and Head of Corporate Regulatory Affairs at JPMorgan Chase, and Wilson Irvin, Vice Chairman in the Group Executive Office at Credit Suisse. In this episode, we'll be discussing the growing prevalence of market fragmentation, which has been an increasing concern among industry, given the impact that it can have on capital, liquidity, and cross-border funding. Deborah, can you explain what problems are posed by market fragmentation and how it impacts financial institutions, which are active across many jurisdictions? Thank you, Martin. We're describing the problems and impacts. It may help to describe what we are referring to as market fragmentation. As the recently released FSB report on market fragmentation notes, there is no commonly agreed definition of market fragmentation. When we think about market fragmentation, we are referring to an instance where an approach to regulation or supervision by specific jurisdictions causes frictions in global financial activities that impact or have the potential to impact cross-border capital flows, functioning markets, economic growth, and in some cases, financial stability. Fragmentation may be driven by different jurisdictional approaches to regulation and supervision, which can include incompatibility of the approach by home and host regulators, extraterritoriality resulting in overlap or duplication, or differences in the timing or substance by jurisdictions in the implementation of international standards. Often, there's a view that from the perspective of financial institutions that operate across borders, this is only about increased compliance burdens and costs. These are the obvious impacts, but not the most important ones. The more important impacts, as outlined in the recent FSB report, relate to resilience of the global financial system. Broadly, market fragmentation impacts the ability of the markets to function most efficiently, increases access to liquidity pools, and creates opportunities for regulatory arbitrage. This all translates into higher or unnecessary costs for market participants, as well as a reduction in opportunities for cross-border diversification and risk management. Separately, there are other impacts on firms that at first glance may appear only to relate to cost, but actually relate to usability of information, both by firms across different geographic locations, as well as by supervisors. Some of the fragmentation around reporting requirements and the increase of so-called data localization requirements fall into this bucket. Thank you. Building on what you just said, there are also implications beyond specific banks and other institutions which are impacted. Wilson, how do you see the role of market fragmentation in impacting market efficiency and even, in some cases, financial stability? So to build on what Deborah just said, if you think about banks in the abstract, we're about intermediating savings and capital flows. There are some countries that tend to be net savers and some that tend to be net investors. So the efficiency of the global financial system is about finding the right opportunities for those savings to flow to productive use. The more you constrain that with fragmentation, the more difficult that becomes and the less efficient we get in terms of capital build, in terms of economic growth, et cetera, and the lower benefits we have for savers as well. If you look at, for example, speeches by Mark Carney and Mario Draghi recently, Mark Carney talked about in this role as the head of the FSB before Randy Quarles, the importance of ensuring that these flows could happen smoothly for jobs, for growth, and for economic stability. 
Mario Draghi took that even one step further in his uh, remarks on the Eurozone, where he talked about how market fragmentation was making it very difficult to conduct monetary policy in the Eurozone. The differences between high employment countries like Germany and mm -hmm. lower employment countries like Italy were becoming very difficult to manage in a single currency because they wanted different economic prescriptions. But the fragmentation of the Eurozone was making it hard for him as a policymaker to get that tune just right. It also poses, I think, an issue for the Single Resolution Board in Europe because of the difficulties of getting cross-border banks to buy weaker or ailing banks, which is a feature that, for example, in the U.S., when a bank is failing in Kansas, they can be bought by a bank from Texas or Ohio or whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, and that has made resolution and financial stability better here. We did some work at Credit Suisse where we tried to look at the problem analytically. And if you try and break down the risk of fragmentation to banks, if you look at a consolidated bank on the one hand and a bank that is trapped into four or five national ring fence subsidiaries, the risk of failure for that more ring fence bank can be as much as five times or even more risk of failure than an integrated bank because you lose diversity, you lose the ability to move capital mm -hmm. from a capital strong region to a capital weak region. That was a very important effect in the big crisis of 2008. The banks survived, in part did it because they had diversity and the ability to move money where it needed to go. So I think this is a very important issue for financial stability and for preserving at least some of the things that worked in 2008 and prevented things from getting worse. Thank you. At the IAF, we published a staff paper looking at market fragmentation and different examples, and both of you contributed to that work. One of the notable examples of market fragmentation is how each relevant home and host jurisdiction translates the provisions of the TLAC term sheet into local regulation. And we've seen jurisdictions calibrate or propose to calibrate internal TLAC at different ends of the TLAC term sheet range. So there is fragmentation in terms of how they have implemented or how they are going to implement it. Uh, Deborah, how does this impact capital planning across the sector? And how do you see a role for the Financial Stability Board to re-emphasize the need for more consensus across its member jurisdictions? So, Martin, the recent review by the FSB on the technical implementation of the TLAC standard absolutely recognizes that there are important challenges in this regard with respect to the implementation of internal TLAC. As has been discussed frequently, the TLAC FSB standard finalized in 2015 established a range for internal TLAC requirements, but directionally, there has been a move toward requirements being established at the high end of that range, 90%. One should think about the dynamic that is occurring, not as necessarily home versus host, mm -hmm. but rather as an opposite of the race to the bottom, a dynamic by host countries to ensure that if one jurisdiction imposes more stringent requirements, that their jurisdiction is not left behind. However, an approach that is excessive is not actually productive for overall resilience, as Wilson has just pointed out. Rather, the focus should be on convergence of requirements that are appropriately calibrated to achieve those objectives. So the FSB notes that important challenges remain to determine the appropriate group internal distribution of TLAC resources across home and host jurisdictions and reduce potential risks of unnecessary fragmentation of capital resources. Although the report does not make any recommendations on revising the TLAC standard, it does differentiate between jurisdictions that have 
fixed percentage by regulation versus those that rely more closely on the determinations of the levels through their crisis management group engagement and an evaluation of the credibility of the home's resolution plan. So this is clearly an area where the FSB could do more work on guidance. As a financial institution, we understand the position of hosts who permit activities of foreign companies in their jurisdictions and look out for the safety and soundness of those operations and the impacts on their local economies. However, excessive requirements may actually undermine the objectives trying to be achieved. Flexibility within the frameworks that apply to us is optimal for planning purposes so that we can allocate resources aligned with business initiatives and ultimately more efficiently service our clients and support functioning markets. Internal requirements that are calibrated so closely to external requirements limits the flexibility of a greater amount of firm-wide unallocated resources to address unforeseen problems. Having such flexibility actually makes a firm more resilient. So we are encouraged by statements made by the Federal Reserve's Vice Chair of Supervision and FSB Chair, Randy Quarles, that the U.S. should be willing to reconsider its internal TLAC calibration. This may prompt other jurisdictions to do the same. Thank you. Both of your institutions are active across many different jurisdictions, and when banks expand internationally, they have to decide whether they will run branch offices or whether they will set up subsidiaries. The model that uses branches, called the single point of entry approach, is characterized by a more centralized structure where the decisions are made by the parent company. Wilson, working at one of the banks that has a single point of entry approach, I was wondering how are SPOE banks impacted specifically by market fragmentation? Let me answer that question by going at the other model first. Most of the big international banks are single point of entry, about 90% are. Both JP Morgan and Credit Suisse are. But there are a few banks that are organized really as a collection of independent local banks, independent national banks, where they're fairly balanced between lending and deposit taking Mm -hmm. in each jurisdiction. And those banks are deliberately designed to be compartments, compartments that don't rely on each other, but are really sort of independent. And you build the structure from that type of organization. Most of us have a different structure because of the nature of the business we do. And we are more efficient as an overall global organization. We tend to be run more as a single global operation. And we try to do things most efficiently in each country that we operate in. So rather than having a similar national bank model in each country, we might have a trading center in one country, we might have a private banking center in another country, we might have retail operations in a few other specific countries, and we try and manage that as a group. If you have a, a fragmented approach to regulation, you start breaking down the natural lines of economics, natural lines of command and control. And as Deborah said, we understand that hosts need to have some level of protection, some level of assurance that their local interests are protected. But the more you get drive from that balance of, I need to protect that to, I want everything to be centralized in my host jurisdiction, you can lose the forest for the trees. If the goal is financial stability, if we wire things so tightly that everything, all the management structures, all the data, all the resources are locked down in each host country, then we have sort of an own goal of people trapping too much capital in actually creating risk because you're running an institution in a way that's not the natural economic form. So we do think that it's important to get this balance right, that we protect host interests, but we also balance that with the nature of the overall organization so that we keep the most resilience in the system. 
As you both already alluded to, global standard setters are increasingly aware of the problem of market fragmentation. The Japanese G20 has prioritized this topic, and both the Financial Stability Board and IOSCO have recently published reports in early June on this topic. Deborah, what do you think is driving this work from their perspective, and what was your first reaction to these reports by the FSB and IOSCO? What is driving this work is to some degree the same drivers that are now focusing the FSB and other international standard-setting organizations on review of the implementation of post-crisis reform, a recognition that there may be certain unintended consequences after a period of the adoption of significant reforms. In the case of market fragmentation, the FSB and IOSCO both recognize in their reports that there may be ways to accomplish important domestic objectives, while at the same time not unduly constraining cross-border financial services and flows of capital. Separately, there may be ways that requirements have been implemented, such as reporting, that could be improved with increased data standardization and harmonization of requirements. Overall, we, and I believe that the industry generally, use the reports as very constructive in identifying the specific instances of market fragmentation, prioritizing this at the G20 level, and essentially making it part of the conversation going forward. In addition, both the FSB and IOSCO reports contain concrete recommendations for follow-up, as well as a review by the FSB of progress on its initiatives in November. This will help to keep momentum and focus on these very important issues. Some of the recommendations to address fragmentation are more achievable in the short term than others, and policymakers should focus on accomplishing certain of those objectives in the short-term horizon. For example, we support continued efforts to increase data standardization in reporting through the use of identifier standards, such as the legal entity identifier and unique product identifier. Thank you. The Financial Stability Board, in its report, commits itself to a number of next steps including in the areas of encouraging deference processes and addressing jurisdictional ring fencing and prepositioning of financial resources by international banks. Wilson, where do you think the standard setters can make the biggest difference in addressing this problem? I think the standard setters are going to be very important in this area. And it's one of the things we sometimes take for granted, but you know, the original Basel Concordat that helped us organize how banks work across borders was a very important achievement. If you look at the original Basel Capital Rules, also a very important achievement. There were periods for that where you had banks that were sort of state-supported or too big to fail, sort of changing the markets and giving non-economic behavior to some markets and creating some bad dynamics that led to financial stability issues. And Basel helped crack mm-hmm. that problem or at least control that problem in its early days. More recently, I think they've done tremendous work. Look at the FSB's work on the too big to fail problem, taking us from what Ben Bernanke described as the central problem of the great financial crisis. And I think now giving us the right kind of approach, an approach that I think has been pursued successfully to the point where you could now fix that problem practically today in many of the key jurisdictions, many of the key financial centers around the world. That is a key precondition to cracking this problem. If you are a host nation in a world where too big to fail, has not been solved, you're at risk. If you look at some of the countries in the crisis of 2008, you look at places like Belgium, when Fortis collapsed, there was surprise capital shocks to taxpayers in both the Netherlands and Belgium, and neither one of which, I think, were prepared for that kind of call on taxpayer resources. 
if you have this entity failing without the need for taxpayer support, if you've got a private sector solution that works and works effectively, you have the precondition to solving this problem and solving it right. One of the things that I think that standard setters need to do is to talk more about how capital and liquidity and TLAC, total loss absorbing capacity, are allocated within firms. That was really done for the first time in the Too Big to Fail project, where they said internal TLAC should be allocated to key subsidiaries at a rate of 75 to 90 percent. So they acknowledged the need, as Deborah pointed out, for some discount to the external requirements to create a mobile central reserve that could go to where the problem was most acute. That ends up improving resilience by a tremendous amount. I think that more generalized thinking along these lines, more general usage of branches and not effectively making branches closet subsidiaries are all practical things that Basel can be very helpful on in terms of setting a standard. Basel doesn't make laws. They can't force their rules on anybody. But getting a a level playing field where people look at the rules and look at how their counterparts in other jurisdictions are going to be enforcing them Mm. can be a very helpful benchmark in getting to a better playing field and a more cooperative solution. Great. I think that's right. Sometimes some of the market fragmentation examples that we have looked at might be political obstacles, other reasons why it looks like we can't resolve the market fragmentation right away. And in those cases, there might be other opportunities to work more closely together, to build up trust between jurisdictions, and to proactively approach joint supervision. Deborah, can you talk a bit about how you see the role of colleges, supervisory colleges, crisis management groups, and how they can help increase trust between the regulators to address these cross-border supervisory issues? The FSB in its report recognizes that both colleges and crisis management groups could be used to increase greater cross-border communication regarding some of the fragmentary effects of regulation. The report discusses the improvement of cross-border cooperation and information sharing through the establishment of supervisory colleges and CMGs, but also notes that these fora could be useful in further strengthening of regulatory and supervisory cooperation and regular communication and information sharing among relevant authorities on issues concerning market fragmentation, including the identification of inconsistent supervisory expectations that may be the source of some of this market fragmentation. This is an area we think could be useful for authorities to further explore and perhaps engage in greater dialogue amongst themselves and with firms. On the point regarding the building of trust, we completely agree that the role of the CMG is to engage in these conversations during times when firms are not in stress or crisis in order to build trust and understanding between the home, host, and the firm so that if there is a time of stress or crisis, communication lines are in place and frictions and the possibility of misunderstandings are minimized. The real key is to build that trust in order for jurisdictions to act in the collective best interest in the event of a crisis. Thank you. The Financial Stability Board has also encouraged relevant stakeholders, including industry, to provide them with evidence of market fragmentation and to periodically bring together interested parties to discuss these topics in greater detail. Wilson, how do you see the role of industry in helping address the problem of market fragmentation? I think industry has got an important role here. If you look at how banks are organized, we will be the places where you'll see naturally these points of friction, that when you see specific jurisdictional rules for liquidity or for capital, 
or TLAC or data or other issues, we're the people that are going to have to implement that. And whether it's a treasury staff or IT staff or compliance staff, we'll start to see where those things begin to butt into each other, where the definitions conflict, when the requirements are too steep. will be the natural first place where you'll start to see those frictions appear. So I think it's a place where we can be helpful to the supervisors in showing them here's in in a practical organization where those things are running into each other. Each organization will be a little bit different. And so I think by working together, provide a more rounded picture. I think there are groups, and Martin didn't set me up for this, but I'll call it the IF as a group that has done a good job in bringing together different banks together at colloquiums, at conferences, with both the, the banking sector, with lawyers, and with public sector people to try and have an open dialogue about this. If you do this all in private, if you do this all one-on-one, it can be very hard to figure out what's the true nature of the problem. But if you get enough smart people in the room and the right kind of organization, I think those forums can be very helpful, both from the banking side to see what's on the mind of supervisors, but also for the supervisors to see where some of these problems might be running and creating friction in different types of banks. So I think industry groups like the IF can be very helpful in that as well. Thank you very much, Wilson. And thank you also, Deborah. Thank you for joining me on this podcast. I found your comments very insightful, very candid around this important topic of market fragmentation. So thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you.